Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you out this morning. I just want to prepare you ahead of time that this morning there will be a lot of audience participation, okay? Yes, get excited. There's actually two stages to it. Right away, I'm going to pass around the small group sign-up because I know sometimes small groups come and go and people are like, oh, I didn't know about there was a small group or I didn't know where I could, what day I could be on and all that stuff. Well, we're going to put the paper right in front of you this morning as it goes around the congregation so that you have no excuse not to know that you can sign up for small groups, that they are beginning February 3rd, will be the first Sunday of small groups. If you're already in a small group and you can be sort of preparing your group for that date, we're going to start a series on Ephesians that will take us through till Easter. And uh, if you're not in a small group, I have the sign-up sheet for you here, and I'm just going to start sending it around uh, each of the different sections. There's one for each section. There's a pen already on the board. And so you can just look that over. And if there's a specific day that you need to be on, a Tuesday night or a Wednesday or a Thursday, you can mark that down. If you're already in a small group, you can mark that down too, just so that we know you're taken care of. So just sort of flow those from the front to the back, and everybody has a chance to take their time and sign up for a small group, because we want everybody in a life group. I keep saying small group, but the new name that we've decided on is life group. So I have to get that in my head. We call them life groups here now. And uh, we call them life groups because really you do the Christian life and you share the Christian life together. And that's why we want you in a life group so that there are people there for your life and through the different chapters in your life that you go through and for learning for life and coaching for life and mentoring for life. So be in a life group and live out your Christian lives together is how we want to do it here at Lakeside. So that's just, that's just a taste of the participation that is to come. Because as I get into this message that we're going to look at in Romans 12... We're going to be talking about spiritual gifts and the talents and gifts that God has given us. And you have an insert um, that was given to you, and probably if you didn't have a bulletin, you might have got handed one of these. Um, And you have a pencil somewhere near you or a pen. And uh, just be prepared in about 10 or 15 minutes to start using those things. Because today there will be a test, (laughs) and we are collecting it. So you have to be ready for that. We want everybody to participate. All right, as we are getting ready for this, let me just open in a word of prayer and we'll have God bless our time together. Father God, as as we begin this morning, it is kind of an exciting morning, God, I admit, because we are really coming to terms with what your word says and putting pen to paper and putting our hands and our feet into action uh, to respond to what you have given us in your word and what you intend for us in this community and in this family at Lakeside, how we live together as Christians The church was your idea, and it was an honestly just an awesome idea because it's yours, and and that you don't leave us alone in this world to try to struggle through, but you give us your Holy Spirit, you give us brothers and sisters, you give us a congregation, you give us a family to live our Christian life with together, and then you gave us talents and you gave us spiritual gifts on top of that to be able to live this life together and to live it victoriously for you, and so Father, we want to not just take that as just words on a, on a page or just nice idea. We want to make that reality in our life here at Lakeside. So, Father, I just pray that you would bless your word, bless this teaching, and bless each of us as we respond to your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to just work through the first few verses of Romans 12, and I'm not going to read the whole thing and then go back. I'm just going to start at verse 1 and kind of go through it. And, and I, I want to begin at the beginning of, of Romans 12 to establish 
um, how the expression of our gifts are a response to the gospel. And that Paul presents, the Apostle Paul presents using our gifts as Christians as the normal outcome of the transforming pattern of our lives. So when we become Christians, we we are drawn out of an old pattern of the world into a new pattern of Christian living. And what Paul is doing, how he sets up the spiritual gift text, because sometimes we jump down to verses 4 through 8, because that's where he's actually talking about the gifts. But what I want to do is just spend a little bit of time on 1 to 3 and see in what context is the Apostle Paul presenting the gifts. In other words, not just that you have these gifts, but why are you expressing them and how are you expressing them and as part of the pattern of the gospel transforming our lives. And so we open up the Word of God here and we see in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul speaking now to these people after 11 chapters, he didn't write them as chapters, but 11 chapters of a long letter, he now says in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And he's about to talk about how you present your bodies because he's going to get into the spiritual gifts. So the, 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 the how of the presenting your bodies is going to come. But let's just stop for a moment and look at the therefore. What is the appeal that Paul is making for giving ourselves as a living sacrifice? Why would we do this? It says, therefore, Paul wants to immediately set the context of our motivation for about what, he, what he's about to say in the spiritual gifts. Therefore, is because of something that's come before. Right? He, he's written this big, long letter. And, and because of this big, long letter that I've written so far, therefore, you should be doing this. You should be presenting your bodies. You should be using these spiritual gifts. So we have to understand what the therefore is. So let's just look and see. Therefore, because I'm an apostle and I told you to, you should give your body as a living sacrifice and use your spiritual gifts. No, that's not what Paul says. Paul sometimes uses his, his apostolic authority and he says, I'm an apostle and I'm telling you to do this. But he doesn't say that here. So he says, therefore, because your pastor at your church in Rome has wagged his finger and made you feel guilty, you should give your body as a living sacrifice and use your spiritual gifts in the church. No, Paul doesn't say that. No, no, he says, therefore, because God really needs your help to get stuff done. No, Paul doesn't say that either. Why does Paul say that you need to offer your bodies and be transformed and use your spiritual gifts? He doesn't say that it's because your pastor wagged his finger at you. He doesn't say it's because God needs your help. He doesn't say it's because you should feel guilty because duty and guilt make bad motivators, right? Duty and guilt and obligation are bad motivators. They only last so long, and that's not the motivation that the Apostle Paul gives. There really is a therefore that Paul has established, but it's not duty and it's not guilt. It's the only true motivator that will sustain lasting service. And he says, by the grace of God. And when Paul says, therefore, by the mercy or the grace of God, he's referring backwards to the previous 11 chapters of Romans, which we are now going to cover very quickly. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Certainly he's pointing to chapters 1 through 8, where he has declared the grace and the mercy of God in the gospel over and over and over again. Just some highlights. Because we are sinners saved by a free gift of grace through faith, therefore you should. Romans 3, 24, 5, and 1. Because God has shown his love towards us by sending his own son, Romans 5, 8. 
Because Jesus has exchanged his life for our lives. Romans 6, 4 and 23. Because there is no longer any condemnation for us who live in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1. Because we cannot ever be separated from the love of God. Romans 8, 35. Basically, if you look at the beginning part of Romans, it's because of the gospel. Because of the just incredible reality of the gospel, of what God has done and what Christ has done for us, Jesus is your greatest treasure. That's your motivation. It's by God's grace and God's mercy through the gospel of what Christ has done that Paul has hammered home over and over and over again at the beginnings of Romans. He says, therefore, because Christ has done this, Christ is your treasure, the love and affection that God shows towards us through the gospel becomes in us, his disciples, love and affection towards him through his son and our affection for Christ Our Christ-centeredness is the root of our motivation. That's the therefore why we should do this. Paul says, therefore, because of these things, you're going to offer your body as a living sacrifice. Not because you feel guilty, not because it's a duty, because it's an obligation, but because Christ has come into your life and you love him and he's your greatest treasure and God's loved you and you reciprocate that love. Imagine if it was something else. Imagine if duty and guilt were the motivators in something like your marriage in a relationship. How would that relationship go? How would your marriage go if duty and guilt and obligation were the motivators? You know, it would be, you know, your wife says to you as you're going out the door, why, why don't you pick up some flowers and let's go out for dinner tonight? And the husband's like, oh, fine, that'll be great. I'll get some flowers, we'll go out for dinner. Yeah, right, because I'm your husband, I get it, I'm supposed to get you flowers, and we're supposed to have date night, so let's do that. It's not going to keep the relationship fresh, right? <laughs> If that's your response, you know, you know, or honey, could you give me a kiss? And it's like, must I kiss you? <laughs> I like how John Piper phrases it. Yes, you must. Gentlemen, you must kiss your wives, but it's not that kind of must, right? It's not a must out of duty. It's not a must out of obligation. It's out of affection that you must kiss your wives and show affection, Right? Because affection is a required component of love. That's why kisses are a must. That's why hugs are a must. That's why flowers are a must. That's why date night is a must. It's a must because affection is a required component of love. So it is a must. You must have date night. You must bring your wife flowers or whatever it is her love language is. But it's not that kind of must. It's not a must out of duty. It's a must out of affection. It's a must out of delight. And so that's the most important thing to take away from today. The Apostle Paul, Scripture, roots the motivation for using our gifts that we're about to get into. The big therefore is because of the gospel. Because God loves you and because you cherish Christ more than anything else, because he is the treasure that's buried in the field, because he is the pearl of greatest price, because he is everything, therefore... What does Paul say? Therefore, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. Understand this. Not just intellectual assent or not just willful obedience, but fundamental life change. Paul is saying, if the gospel is true, therefore, there is real change in your affections and your response to life. Paul says it's worship. You see where this is coming across completely on the relational level. Worship is our response to something that we love. If you watched football yesterday, you watched 65,000 fans worshiping the Kansas City Chiefs, right? 
I mean, they were chanting and cheering and they loved everything that was happening. Their amazing Kansas City Chiefs were just accomplishing everything that they hoped for. That relationship between a team and their fanatics, fans, right, is one of literally worship. And Paul is saying, this is what our response is in the body. Is we are t- Our response to God is not duty and obligation. It's actually worship because he is We're fans of God. We are fanatical about our relationship with God. We love God and we show Him our affection in worship. And so Paul says, this is your spiritual worship. We respond out of adoration, not duty, not guilt. It's not this is the law or thus saith the Lord. Paul says it's a spiritual response to a new reality, a new way of living in the love of God. That's why we give our bodies as a living sacrifice. He spells it out another way in verse 2, just to make it more clear. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This not conform to the pattern of the world, you have to understand what the pattern of the world is in order to understand what we're not to be conformed to. What, what's different about the pattern of Christian living from the pattern of the world? And if you were to go back in Romans again, the pattern of the world would be clear there. If you look in Romans 1, 21 to 23, you can pick it up right away. Paul says in Romans 21, 1, 21, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So basically, the idea is uh, the pattern of the world is that you worship the creator, created rather than the creator. So Paul says, here's here's the pattern of the foolishness of the world. They had the creator to worship, and instead they worshipped created things, literally idols and birds and animals and, you know, elephants and cows and things like that. Rather than worshipping the creator, they worshipped the created. And the pattern of the world we look around today is people are doing that all the time, right? They're worshipping their career, they're worshipping their food, they're worshipping their money, they're worshipping anything other than the creator, they worship the created, And Paul says you're to give up that pattern. There's a pattern where you worship the creator. That the created things are good, but that they point towards a creator. So by all means, enjoy that steak. But remember that that steak isn't the thing that needs to be worshipped. That steak came from God, the creator, who gave it as a good gift to you. And so that the, the, the steak points towards, and the taste and the enjoyment of food points towards God. By all means, enjoy the created world that God gave us, but understand that it points towards a creator. The other pattern of the world here that we see in Romans, and I'm not going to expand on it all for time, is to act as though we're smarter than God and live our own way. Right? Professing to be wise, they became fools. So they basically said, well, God's not God. I'm God. I'm a better God than God, so I'm going to be God my, myself. Now, the interesting thing is, people come into my office, I never hear any Christian say this. People don't come into my office and say, well, I think I know better than God, and so I'm going to do what I want to do because I'm smarter than God. We never come out and say that. What we do, though, is we just live our lives as though that is true. right? We just ignore God and do our own thing. And we don't bother to read the Word of God. We don't bother to be in the Scripture. We don't bother to read the Bible because we figure, well, whatever is in there, I already know it. Or, you know, it's obviously not going to change my life. And so we just leave the Bible on our bookshelf and we don't read it. We, li- we, we talk to Christians and then we don't take their counsel. 
You know, we just ignore things that God is trying to say through the Holy Spirit, through wise Christians around us. And so I get it that we never get up in the morning and say, I'm smarter than God, I'm going to live my own way. But over and over and over again, we act that way. And that's the pattern of the world. To behave as though, I don't need to read the Bible. I don't need to listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I don't have to spend time in prayer. I don't have to follow these things because, you know, I've got this all figured out and I've got it under control. So that's the second thing is that we think that we're smarter than God. And then the third pattern of the world is using God's gifts or our abilities to build our own kingdom instead of his. In Romans 8.28, if you go further down, where they refuse to acknowledge God, and it talks about all the things that they, that they end up in envy and greed and covetousness and things like that. So we use the things that God gave us for our own kingdom building and for our own purposes. Before I was a Christian, I used the abilities I had for me, right? So God, when everybody, all of you, when you were born, God gave you certain talents and abilities and all kinds of different ones, right? And one of the ones that God gave me was... Uh, the ability to talk, unfortunately for some of you. And uh, subconsciously and unconsciously, I just learned to use that for my own benefit. So I knew how to be charming to the people around me that had candy that I wanted. And, uh, you know, I knew how to talk my brothers out of uh, certain activities that I didn't want to do um, or talk them into giving me things that I wanted. And, uh, you know, as I got older, I learned how to interact with teachers in such a way that they would give me a better mark than I really deserved. And uh, so I could use my talent and ability that God gave me for me. And then later on in business, I was in charge of client relationship and building in the business. And so I could engage people in a boardroom or uh, in an office or in a situation. That, that ability to talk and that ability to communicate was coupled with an entrepreneurial ability. And so, you know, you give me a new idea or you give me like a 10% chance to accomplish something, it's built into me, God built into me this desire to go after that 10% chance. And so that's a talent that God built into me. And you all have talents. You all have things that you're just out of this world at that I'm no good at, right, that I can't do. And so there's talents that God has given us and we can use those to build our kingdom but what happens when we become Christians, Paul is saying here, is, is you give up the pattern of the world and you bring on the pattern of God and he will redeem that talent and he will actually give you a spiritual gift on top of your talents in order to build his kingdom. God comes along when we're Christians and he says, you have a pattern of living that is all for you. You're using the things and the talents and the gifts I've given you to build your kingdom. And then Paul says that that pattern of the world, we have to give up and be transformed in our minds away from that pattern of the world to the pattern of God. And so Paul says that pattern of the world ignores God and it uses God's stuff and it uses the things that God has given us for our own gain and that always ends badly. Just read the rest of Romans 1 if you want to see how it ends for people. But he says don't be conformed to that pattern. Instead, there's a gospel alternative in verses 3 to 8. He says this is the pattern you should follow. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So the alternative pattern then is humility rather than pride. It's thinking of others higher than ourselves. Secondly, it's recognizing God is better at being God than we are or than any created thing. That's the renewing of the mind and the sober judgment. And thirdly, using God's talents and gifts and stuff for God. That's where Paul's going with this. Use God's things that he's given you, <coughs> excuse me, to build up his people in his kingdom. So our motive is the gospel. It's our affection forgiveness, 
for, for Jesus. And the pattern of living that emerges is contrary to the pattern of the world. That's what Paul wants to set up here. There's a pattern of the world that's selfish and, there's, and prideful, and there's a pattern of the world that is selfless and humble. Okay, that's the context. And now it recognizes also that God gave us all talents and special and spiritual gifts that Paul's now going to lay out. And so let's just read the list quickly, and I won't belabor the list of all because we want to dive quickly into discovering what those gifts are in you today. This is where the participation begins to happen. It's going to be exciting. This is the test. And yes, you're going to have to hand it in, so find a pencil. Actually, does anybody not have the test? There's a couple over here. Our ushers, I don't know if if an usher can grab. There's a couple over there. There's a couple here. Okay. So just keep your hand up until you get a test, and we'll make sure you get one. All right. Here we go. Romans 12, 4 to 8. Paul now begins to actually tell us how we actually live as living sacrifices and transform the pattern of our lives. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. And so we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. This is the part you're all familiar with, right? But now you've got the context for it. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, in service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So let me just overview the gifts. And there's a description, there's an overview that's in, in your handout there in the middle page, I think. And there's other gifts. If you go to the sl- next slide, there's other gifts as well. We're using the Romans list. There's, uh, there's lists of gifts in Ephesians. There's lists of gifts in Peter. Uh, the next one, you'll see there's lists in 1 Corinthians in several places. And so we're using the Romans list for our gifts. And some of those gifts cross over and some of them go into other categories like healing and tongues and things like that. And And uh, we'll certainly be glad to talk to you about those gifts, but that's not this morning. I just want to talk about the practical gifts that Paul is explaining in in Romans that is our offering of our body as a living sacrifice and a new pattern of living within the body. And so you have prophecy, which is applying biblical truths to life situations. You have service or also helps, it's called, which captures a lot of things. For instance, and one of the things that we want to get into today, you'll notice that there is no spiritual gift of parking cars. Um, but that is something that sometimes churches need, right? There is no spiritual gift of preparing coffee on Sunday morning. But that is something that the church needs. And so that gift of service actually counts for a lot of things. All those talents that I talked about that God gave you, right? There's no spiritual gift of oil changes, but people need oil changes, Right, And you have that talent that God has given and that passion and that, uh, that love for tinkering with engines, whatever it is. And so we're going to get past the gifts even into where they translate into service. The gift of teaching or knowledge, it imparts knowledge, uh, the ability to illuminate scripture and make application in people's lives. Exhortation is a gift of encouragement to motivate people. The gift of giving means meeting needs in the church and individually. Where you see a need, there's just a desire and an ability to meet that need. Generosity as it takes in all its shapes, leading also the wisdom gift, which is planning and vision and organizing teams of people and being able to execute things and equipping. And then the gift of mercy, which is compassion and visiting and talking and relating and spending time with people and empathizing with them. So we're going to look at all of these things. So there's three ways that we're going to do this. There's three steps to this test. 
The first part is really easy. I'm going to give an illustration, and some of you have heard this illustration before. I've used it on other occasions when I've talked about spiritual gifts. And so what I want you to do is listen to the illustration as I give it and then respond to the response that resonates with you. So think about yourself and how you would respond to this situation. So imagine that one of the kids in our congregation, they know that my throat gets a little dry and I get thirsty when I'm up here. And, uh, you know, maybe it's somebody like, whatever, Macy or somebody... Um, knows that I get thirsty when I preach, and so she goes and gets a glass of water, and, and little Macy starts to bring the glass of water up to me, and she trips on the stairs, and she drops the glass of water, and it falls and it breaks, and there's glass and water all over the floor up here. Big mess, glass, and all of that stuff. Now, as I describe the various responses, as you're sitting there watching that, you're going to just naturally respond to what just happened to Macy and to the situation in the church. Now, wait till you hear them all, and then tell me the one that resonates with you. If you're acting out of the gift of prophecy, you might come forward and say something like, Macy, the world is full of pitfalls. Be careful of how you walk, lest you are led astray from the right path, and there are consequences. Right? And you might take her to a Bible verse that talks about, you know, how to walk properly or how God would do that. Or you might have the gift of mercy. And so you might come forward and you say, oh, Macy, and give her a big hug. I know exactly how you feel. I do that all of the time, and I feel so frustrated with myself when I do it. The best thing to do is just have a nice long hug from me and don't listen to the prophecy guy. (laughs) Pay no attention to him, right? Mercy and prophecy are sometimes like this. If you have the gift of service, your response right away when you hear the broken glass and you see the water is, where's the mop? Right? Where's the mop? Where's the broom? Where's the dustpan? I can clean this up right now before anybody steps in the glass and we can get this taken care of in like a minute. If you have the gift of exhortation, you might, you might come up to Macy and say, you know, you do an amazing job helping out around here, Macy. Don't let any one little accident discourage you. Don't let this get you down. You do a hundred good things for every one little accident that happens. Nobody here is worried about a little bit of water on the floor. Nobody, nobody's concerned. Just keep doing what you do because you serve so well. Or if you have the gift of leading, your response, or you might be thinking, if, if glass is breaking and uh, you know, there's water on the floor and this seems to be happening, we, you start thinking, well, we need a system in place to make sure this doesn't happen again. So we'll have plastic bottles uh, and the worship team will make sure that there's you know, enough for everybody. And Paul is always needing a glass. Like, why doesn't he have one there? And so we'll just get a system in place where there's just always water available and we won't have to sort of go through this each Sunday. And, you know, we'll label them with a Sharpie so they don't get mixed up. And, you know, because the cold and flu season is kind of on us, and so we don't want people drinking out of each other's bottle. But if you have the gift of leading, you start thinking that way. How do I organize this better? If you have the gift of teaching, then you would come alongside and you would say, Macy, when you carry the water, make sure there's no condensation on the glass so it's slippery. You know, hold it with both hands. Always have, like, a paper towel underneath it, right? You would coach and kind of lead her through it. If you have the gift of giving... You know, you would sit back and you would just say, like, how much would it cost to get plastic cups that don't break? Like, does $200 fix this? Because I have $200 in my pocket right now, and we can fix this. Right? That's, that's the gift of giving or generosity. You're just like, what does it take to fix this? Let's just do it. So everybody looks at the same event, you understand. You know, I'm kind of making it funny, but everybody looks at the same event, and we see it through different eyes. So that's your first thing. Now you can take your pencil, take your pen... The five, six gifts are there. Sorry, six gifts are there. When that happens, when something happens in the church, what's your first response to that? Just circle the first one that you think, this is where I, where I go. I'm on the teaching side or I'm on the, you know, what's the biblical application in this situation? That's prophecy. You know, 
grab the mop that's serving? Where does your heart lean when something like that happens in the church or anything happens in the church? What's your first instinct? Any, anybody else need a test? Everybody's got a test? Oh, one, two, three over there. One in the middle there. So that's the first, that's easy, right? Easy test. Just one thing to circle, just the response to the illustration. Now we're going to go a little deeper. The thing about our spiritual gifts and about our talents is quite often we often don't know what our spiritual gift is or we don't think we know. Right? We think, well, I don't have a gift or I don't know what my gift is or I seem to have three and I can't choose which one is the best or, you know, I got left out when God was handing out gifts. I was at the back of the line and I missed it. You know, it's not true. It's not true. What does it say that he, ascend, he descended, but he also ascended, and when he ascended, he gave gifts unto men. And so God has given everybody gifts. If you, if you are a Christian, you're a believer in Christ, you have your talents that he's given everybody from God, you have your talents that you can be redeemed and used for the kingdom, but God has also given all of his children special spiritual gifts, and so you have them. But here's the thing. Other people know your spiritual gift better than you. So here's part two of the test, really easy. Right now you can do it, and if you have to stand up and go somewhere to do it, else in the con- not leave, but in the congregation... <laughs> Lock the doors, ushers. Um, I want you to ask two friends, and I understand that maybe you're a visitor here today and you're looking around and you're saying, this is weird, you know, I don't have friends here. But, you know, you can just think for yourself if you don't have two friends here today. But I think most of us have at least two friends here. I want you to pick two friends. They could be sitting near you. They can be across the aisle. They can be across the room. doesn't matter. Pick two friends. Have them circle on your sheet what they think your spiritual gift is. Okay. You have three minutes. Go. Find two friends who you trust. And they will tell you what your spiritual gift is. We want to be using our spiritual gifts for the kingdom, and so we're going to get them identified. All right. Now, I told you it was a three-part test. And we got some time left here, so you will have time to do part three. Having identified your main gifts, what we want to do is now translate that those giftings like prophecy and leading and service, which are nice kind of 30,000-foot kind of overview things, We want to now drill them down a little further into the practical in terms of serving in the kingdom of God and serving in the family of God and serving here specifically at Lakeside in Halliburton. So in part three there, you will see that there is a big list of activities. And what I want you to do is take your time and read through that list of activities or that list of descriptions and choose the top two or three or maybe four, no more than four I don't think, three or four of those descriptions that fit you best, and there's 25 of them, so don't check them off too soon until you get to the bottom. And you're allowed to read through them while I'm talking. That's okay. You'll multitask just fine. And so that list of 25, what I want you to do is just read through those descriptions and pick the one that you think resonates with you and what you do. Or maybe what other people come to you for. 
right? This is the time when you start thinking about how other people respond to you. Like, you know, I'm always getting phone calls for people to come out for coffee. And then when I go for coffee with them, they're sharing their life problems with me because they're really interested in my answer. Well, you probably have the gift of teaching or wisdom or knowledge, right? Or you have people who are calling you up or are you just feeling like you want to go visit people? You know, you want to go to the extended care, you want to go to the hospital, you want to write a card, whatever. You probably have the gift of mercy. All right, so just read through those descriptions. You know, or maybe you're just handy around vehicles or whatever, and people say, oh, my car's not running right, or, you know, I need this oil change, and you're like, hey, I can bring it into my, put it up on the hoist, or I'll just come over, get under your car, I can, I can fix that up for you. You probably have a gift of service. God's given you a talent and a passion for mechanics, and God can redeem that to be used within the body of Christ. Right? Or people need a light bulb changed or some trim done on their house, and you're like, yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there on Saturday. They're just things that we actually do and how we actually live that kind of show us what our gifts are. Uh, you know, you could have the spiritual gift of visitation and just, you know, cheering up people who are shut ins. Right? Just. You want to talk about your grandkids, you can go to extended care, you can go to the hospital, you can go to people who are shut in, you can go to people who don't get out all the time. Talk about your grandkids for hours. They'll love it. Probably give you tea and cookies too. But we all have gifts. We all have things that, that we love to do and talents that God has given us. So as you go through that list of 25, just continue to go through that and see which two or three or four of those resonate with you. And then there's also the last page, which is things you actually do and have done in the past, which speaks to your talents, and you can work on those. And as I said, you are going to hand this in, and uh, we are going to go through this in the office, and we know that, we know that many of you are serving in many ministries, you know, and, and a bunch of you that aren't here are serving right now in Sunday school that aren't able to hear this. But, so this is not about trying to load you up with more stuff to do at church. This is absolutely about finding our spiritual giftings and finding where our passion and our energy is and getting people into the right place where they can serve with joy, not out of duty, not out of guilt, but out of delight in their passion for Jesus Christ and in the gospel and seeing people transformed in the body of Christ. That's where we want people to serve. And we have a lot of new people that have come, and we don't know anything about you. We don't know your spiritual gifts. We don't know where it is that you might like to serve. And so this is a way for us uh, as staff and as leaders to be able to get to know you and know what your gifts are and give you opportunity to serve because we want everybody serving in the body of Christ as Paul exemplifies here. Now, as you're just finishing that off, I just want to finish with an example that I, that I found in the Old Testament, which is just pretty great. Keep, keep writing because we want to hand it in at the end. But just as we close off this message on spiritual gifts, I just want to bring it back again to the Word of God. And I, I want to leave you with something, and I want to show you something in the Old Testament that just blew me away. And what this, what this teaching is from the Old Testament, it has to do with the value of the congregation. It has to do with the value of the body of believers and why you are here and why God has put you here to serve and how important the congregation is to the worship of God and to the kingdom of God. This is how God sets the stage thousands of years before the church in the nation of Israel as Israel, the nation of Israel, traveling through the wilderness with the tent, the tabernacle, right? 
They were the people of God. They were the congregation. They were the assembly. We are now the people of God, the church. But this is how God sets the stage, how he pictures the shadow of what is to come. Even as we are a shadow of an even greater thing to come in the kingdom of heaven, what happened in the Old Testament with Israel was a shadow of the church to come. He says in Deuteronomy 6.16, this is the law of God explaining his heart for his people, his hope for them, and painting a picture of the relationship still to come. It says in verse 16, Three times a year all your men must appear before the Lord our God at the place he will choose, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And so they had these gatherings, these assemblies of God's people. This is what it says. It says, No man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Here's the heart of God for his people. You're going to gather together as my congregation of my people, and you should not come empty-handed. No man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Doesn't that sound familiar? What's Paul saying in Romans 12? Each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. Right? So Paul is saying, you come to the church, you come to the body with a spiritual gift, each in proportion to the faith that God has assigned you. God said in the Old Testament when he's talking to Israel, he said, don't appear before me empty-handed, but you should come to me each with a gift in proportion to the way God has blessed you. God is totally setting us up for how the church is supposed to work here. Nobody is to arrive. Nobody is to appear before the Lord empty-handed. Yes, we come empty-handed to receive God's gift of salvation, but we do not come empty-handed to worship and serve in his kingdom among his people. Yes, the gospel is is that we are bankrupt, we are empty, we have nothing to offer God, and we come to God empty-handed with nothing and receive as a free gift his salvation. The gospel is all about a free gift. But when we respond to the gospel and we come to God in worship, God says, don't come empty-handed because I have given you salvation. I have given you spiritual gifts. You are aware of all the things I've given you. And so I've given you all of this to bring back to me. Don't come empty-handed. Well, what do we bring? To see what the people brought in the Old Testament, we have to look to Leviticus when Moses expands on these feasts and and, and Moses details what goes on at these three feasts. It says in Leviticus 24, The Lord said to Moses, Command the Israelites to bring, this is what they bring, bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning continually. Outside the curtain of the testimony in the tent of meeting, in the tabernacle, Aaron, the high priest, is to tend the lamps before the Lord from evening till morning continually. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. The lamps on the pure gold lampstand before the Lord must be tended continually. And so here's the picture. The people of God are coming to this feast. They're not coming empty-handed. They're bringing oil. The oil goes into these golden lamps that are tended by the priesthood, by the high priest Aaron and his priests. They're tended continually so that the light of the lamps never goes out. Okay? So the people bring the oil and the priests keep the light going. They keep the lamps on. You see the picture here. Aaron, your part to play in the life of the congregation, high priest, is to make sure the lamp is lit, it's ignited, it's burning, that there is illumination. It's the job of the priesthood to make sure that the body of Christ is illuminating the community around us. The light should continually burn. Your job is to make sure that the church is working as intended. Keep an eye on it and tend it. And if it's not working as intended, get it relit so that the light is illuminating. But the illumination itself, where does the illumination of the church come from, of the assembly? The actual source of the illumination was dependent on the faithfulness of the congregation to bring the oil. 
It was the assembly that brought the oil, pure oil that was beaten day after day, week after week, generation after generation. The people of Israel brought oil to the temple to keep the light shining. The illumination, the light of Christ shining in people's lives came from the gifts of the people that they brought into the tabernacle. And oil, as you may know, is a picture of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, whenever it talks about oil, it's talking about a picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit burning within God's people. The Holy Spirit anointing the kings. They used to talk about the oil that was put on their head and ran down into their beards. They were anointed with oil. We have a new anointing that isn't oil. It is the Holy Spirit. And Hebrews 9 touches on this. We don't have time for it. So the picture here is clearly that the congregation brings the fuel, the source of the illumination in the form of the Holy Spirit into the gathering, into the temple, into the church, And then the tenders of the church make sure that everything's working as intended so that illumination goes out into the community. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest pastors of all time, one of the, I mean, if you call 1700s modern, but one of the modern megachurch pastors, he had a church in London with over 15,000 people. Spurgeon said, great congregations are not made by great pastors, but great pastors are made by great congregations. Right, the, the Aaron and the priesthood relied on the people to bring the oil so that they could tend the lamps. Leadership or pastoral effectiveness is only as powerful as what the congregation brings into the tabernacle. The power of the church is in what you bring. If you were looking around Lakeside and you were wondering what makes this church great, you know, what makes all these things happen, People getting visited and cards getting sent and spaghetti dinners going on and Friday or Wednesday family night and Friday youth group and Sunday school and all of that stuff. It's not me. I'm not doing that. It's you guys. What makes light so bright in Lakeside and in this community is the congregation bringing the spiritual gift of their service in life groups, in ministry teams, out in the community, bringing the oil of their spiritual gift into service. So that every time we gather, every time we get together, that lamp is lit and it's brightly shining and showing the love of Christ to the, to the world. That's why we're doing this. That's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit God intended for you to bring so you don't come empty-handed into his tabernacle, into his presence. You come bringing the gift that he gave you and that gift that he gave you is the oil that keeps the lamp lit, that keeps the light shining, that is the reason that we have a testimony in this community. So don't underestimate your spiritual gift. Never hang your head and say there's nothing really for me to do or turning on the coffee pots doesn't matter or cleaning the toys in the nursery doesn't matter right? or parking the cars doesn't matter. Every gift that we bring that is a spiritual gift is the oil that keeps the lamps burning and keeps the light of Christ shining. And also remember the first lesson. The duty is not because I got up here and made you feel guilty. The duty is not because you know uh, you feel obligated that you have to do it. I mean, we need workers in Sunday school. <laughs> you know, We need people who are serving in many different areas, but don't do it if it's out of a sense of obligation. Do it because you are motivated by the gospel, by the life transformation that God has wrought in your life, where you are set free from the old pattern of the world and you have a new pattern of living because you love Jesus so much that you just want to do it out of delight, not out of duty. That's why we serve. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Even now, just as people are finishing up their tests, I'll just pray that they pass. Actually, everybody passes. It's okay. But Lord, I would ask that uh, this morning that there would just be like a, a real 
sense of understanding of the importance of our spiritual gift that you have given us, that we bring the oil and, and you provide the illumination. And Lord, that we want our light to shine. Father, we want this church to be like a city on a hill, not a light under a bushel. We want people to be able to run in here and be found safe. We want people to run to you and receive forgiveness. We want to use these talents and gifts that you have given us, these abilities that we have used for so many years to build our own kingdom, for you to redeem those things and use them to build your kingdom. And Lord, that's what you do. You look into every life and you say, that talent, that ability, that experience, that hardship, that success, anything, none of it will be wasted. I will use it and redeem it to serve my kingdom. And Father, that's how you intended your church to be. It was a great plan. Father, help us to be humble and to execute your plan and your church in the way that sees your kingdom glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.